Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Na'ahmaduhu wa nasalli ala Rasulihi al-Kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings on the Prophet, may peace be upon him. Continuing our exploration of the study of Quran. We are now on Surah 2, Ayah 6. Okay. So Ayah 6 is, truly it is the same for the disbelievers. Whether thou warnest to them or warnest them not, they do not believe. The commentary is grammatically, they do not believe, could also be read, they will not believe. The reference to prophets as warners, nadir, mm -hmm. is an important motif, motif in the Quran. For similar verses, our warnings and guidance are said to be of no avail to the believers. Mm -hmm. To disbelievers. Uh, to disbelievers. So that's interesting how little text they've given uh, for this, because kufr, kafirun, uh, kafaru, this is such a huge, huge term that they did not give much uh, time for. And and this is one point that the the Arabic form uh, for the present tense, the better term is indeed imperfect, meaning the action has not been completed. So it could be present and it could also be future. So thus, you could read this as they do not believe or they will not believe. Okay, let's continue. It's yeah, number seven. That's a short commentary. Yeah. Seven. God has sealed their hearts and their hearing upon their eyes as a covering, and theirs is a great punishment. In the Quran, the heart, Qalb, is the organ associated not only with sentiment, but also with consciousness, knowledge, and faith. For example, the heart is the locus of the divine revelation to the Prophet. It can be veiled to prevent understanding, um, covered with rust or hardened. It can fail to understand, be confounded along with sight, or go blind. For other verses mentioning hearts being sealed, it's a bunch of references. Mm -hmm. Uh, this verse explicitly states that God seals unbelievers' hearts and hearing and covers their sight, preventing them from believing despite the Prophet's warnings and overall message. This is related to Surah 2, Ayah 10, where God increased them in disease in their hearts. This can be possibly understood in a predestinarian sense, according to which one's faith or lack thereof is not a product of one's human will, but of God's prior command. But it can also be understood as spiritual reward or punishment, making the seal a consequence rather than a cause. And whosoever is granted wisdom has been granted much good. Surah 2, Ayah 269. Shows that the spiritual understanding is a good in its own right, and lack of understanding is an evil in its own right. Hence the exhortation in Surah 20, Ayah 114, Say, my Lord, increase me in knowledge. So... There's a subtle but significant point here that your existence is knowledge. And so the more beneficial knowledge you get, then in theory, by definition, the better you are, except if your actions contradict it, which then means you didn't actually acquire the knowledge. You may acquire the sentence, but you didn't actually acquire the knowledge. See what I'm saying? So when you're seeking an increase in knowledge, Rabbi Zidni Ilma, you're not just seeking an increase in knowing the information that composes the Quran, but implementing it. So we have a teaching that whenever Allah Ta'ala wants to do something good to someone, he gives them understanding of deen. And so understanding of deen doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, you understand how this thing works. It means that you're gaining knowledge and applying it. Mm -hmm. Thus, Acquisition of knowledge is its own good, and lack of acquisition of knowledge is its own evil, or lack of good. Going on? Yeah. 
Uh, I ate among mankind are those who say we believe in God and in the last day, though they do not believe. The commentary is those in this verse are the hypocrites, uh, Munafukun, referring originally to a group of people in and around Medina who pretended to be Muslims, but at times collaborated with the disbelievers or who were lukewarm in their faith to the point of inaction. It's interesting that they use the commentary lukewarm because that, that somewhat uh, invokes uh, biblical scripture. Really? Okay. Um, an old pastor I used to, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I believe it's, I believe it's in the Bible, or, or some something regarded as scripture, said, it's, it's attributed in the Christian tradition, that Jesus said, you either be cold or hot, mm. like cold or hot water. If you're cold water, um, I, can st- I can stand cold water in my mouth, hot water in my mouth, but if you're lukewarm, I spit you out. Mm, wow, okay. So, yeah, those who are lukewarm in their faith to the point of inaction, but it also refers to such people in general, wherever and whenever they might live. For discussion of the hypocrites, see commentary on 63, 1 through 8. Mm-hmm. So, so here it's not really distinguishing between the different types of hypocrites, mm-hmm. right? Because it could be hypocrites that are willfully hypocritical or hypocrites that are by virtue of their actions. <laughs> But maybe there'll be more discussion on this all the way in Surah 63. We'll see if or when, inshallah, we ever get there. Let's get to I and I. They would deceive God and the believers, yet they deceive none but themselves, though they are unaware. Mm -hmm. For a similar attempt to deceive God, see uh, Surah 4, Ayah 142. Verily, the hypocrites seek to deceive God, but it is God who deceives them. The idea of God's plotting or scheming Overcoming the plotting and scheming of the disbelievers and hypocrites appears in several places in the Quran. So they don't really give a commentary on this, just references to other places where it exists. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really fascinating in terms of where the focus is uh, in, this, in this whole book. You, know, you would think that you know, being a hypocrite um, would, would garner much more commentary, but yeah, it doesn't. Okay. Perhaps it does in later, later eyes. So. No, let's continue. <laughs> in, in their hearts is a disease, and God has increased them in disease. There is this painful punishment for having lied. Mm-hmm. The disease is usually understood to refer to doubt, hence a spiritual sickness. Although some read having lied, yeah, yes, as having denied, you, oh boy, you called, yeah, you called the boon, yeah. So basically. Um, to tell a lie is yakthibun. To accuse something of lying, of being a lie, is yukadh, uh, so yakthibun and yukadhibun. Mm. So accusing something of being a lie is to deny it. Yeah. Which rebukes the hypocrites for lying, lend support to the former. Okay. So again, not much, not much discourse in all this. No. Um, okay. And when it is said unto them, do not work corruption upon the earth, they say, we are only working righteousness. No commentary. Oh, there's commentary in the next song. Yeah. 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 Uh, nay, it is they who are the workers of corruption, though they are unaware. So to spread or create corruption, facade, mm-hmm. is a major theme in the crown, the opposite of which is often setting things right or making amends. Isla. Yep. Um, the identity of the speaker of do not work corruption is open and could be the prophet himself, a group of believers, or perhaps even some victim of corruption who says this phrase to the corruptors in rebuke. Ibn Abbas uh, and others state that corruption upon the earth 
or alternately corruption in the land, refers to open disobedience against God. It can also be seen as a result of such disobedience. One interpretation attributed to the prominent companion Salman of Farsi states that the people to whom this passage refers have not yet come, an explanation that the commentators accept, in the sense that this verse does not restrict the descriptions of hypocrisy and inequity, iniquity to the Prophet's contemporaries. Some contemporary Muslims interpret the destruction of the natural environment to be one of the central meanings of these verses. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I would say that's a very modernist reading. Um, <laughs> you know, with focus on the environment. And, and Sayyid Hussein Nasser is the main guy of this whole project, and he speaks quite a bit about that. So that's coming straight from him. He speaks quite a bit about the environment? Yeah. Ah. The connection between lack of spirituality and destruction of the environment. Hmm. Yeah. To work righteousness, muslih, means to set things right or put them in a state of righteousness, but is not to be confused with reform in the modern sense. The response, we are only working righteousness, can mean either that they believed that they were actually doing so and their own practice of religion was correct, or that they were acting in their self-interest in trying to bridge the gap between believers and the disbelievers. Mm -hmm. According to this latter interpretation, their lukewarm, at best, commitment, rather than being a, a fault, makes them peacemakers between the two warring sides, offering compromise rather than conflict. That sounds positive, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating. Okay, well, let's see what else he says. Yeah. Uh, 13, when it is said un unto them, believe as the people believe, they say, shall we believe as fools believe? Nay, it is they who are the fools, though they know not. By fools, the speakers are referring to the companions of the prophet, but the more universal interpretation applied to Surah 2 I 11 sees this as a general attitude of rejection of faith. Some commentators have said that the ignorant knew that the believers were those of intelligence, but called them fools to attempt to show themselves to be more knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. On to 14. Mm -hmm. And when they meet those who believe, they say, we believe. But when they are alone with their Satans, they say, we are not with you, we were only mocking. Commentary is, the occasion given for this revelation involves a hypocrite who boasted to his companions, watch how I divert these fools from you. After having heaped praise upon some companions of the prophet, he returned to his own companions and said, when you see them, do as I do. When the companions return to the prophet to tell him, this verse was revealed, exposing the intentions of the hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Satans, uh, shayatin, is the plural of shaitan, which in the singular usually refers to Satan. Here it is usually understood to mean the hypocrites' leaders, fellow hypocrites, disbelievers, or inner demons. At times in the Quran, shayatin refers not only to otherworldly creatures, but also to human beings. As in Surah 6, Ayah 112, thus have we made for every prophet and enemy Satan's from among mankind and jinn. Okay, so yeah, um, again, not very much detail on what does it mean to be a hypocrite, uh, but this is an important point that a shaitan does not necessarily mean shaitan himself, but it could be people that are behaving as does shaitan. You know, still very, very shallow surface readings here. The Al-Fatiha reading was much, much more in-depth. But yeah, let's keep going. Well, I think the, the, intended, the intended audience for this is not Muslims, isn't it? Probably, yeah. yeah. Right. So, going on. Uh, I have 15, God mocks them and leaves them to wander confused in their rebellion. 
The commentary, the issue of whether mockery or ridicule is properly attributable to God is addressed by commentators. Some point out that the disbelievers bring ridicule upon themselves as recompense, not that it originates in God. Others say that the disgrace and ignominy with which God afflicts disbelievers and in which he leaves them to continue for a long time is tantamount to mockery. Wander, confused in their rebellion, also appears in Surah 6, Ayah 110, and Surah, oh, a bunch of surahs. Yeah. Um, rebellion. Try it. Tulhian. Yep. Tulhian. Okay. It's related to the verb pagaya. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Which has the sense of trespassing beyond a limit and is attributed to disbelievers in general and to Pharaoh in particular. Mm -hmm. yeah. 16. It is they who have purchased error at the price of guidance. Their commerce has not brought them profit and they are not rightly guided. Here, purchase can be understood as preferred. As in 4117, they preferred blindness to guidance, which conforms to an Arabic usage of shira, usually purchasing. Though this reading is made less likely by the mention of commerce, tijara, uh, such language relating buying and selling to spiritual matters is also found in 286, 2175, and 3177. Yeah, I mean, so the language of purchasing uh, follows because the environment we're speaking about were merchants. Right, so speaking to them in their language doesn't just mean speaking in a particular dialect of Arabic, but speaking according to terminology that they're akin to. So the shift is from purchasing things of the world to purchasing things of the hereafter. You know. Again, not very much detail about the hypocrites aspect, which I think is really, really fascinating. You know. Okay, let's continue. Maybe perhaps they wouldn't, if it is an non-Muslim audience, perhaps they wouldn't want it to seem like they're calling their audience hypocrites. Possibly, but I mean, I think that's something they could clarify easily. But, yeah, okay. Uh, their parable, on to 17, their parable is that of one who kindled a fire, and when it lit up what was around him, God took away their light and left them in darkness unseeing. So for the spiritual dimensions of light and light symbolism in the Quran, uh, see 2435. On a worldly level and in relation to the hypocrites, the light is understood by some, to refer to the shahada, the declaration of faith that provides the hypocrite light by which to eat, marry, and find protection, since membership in the Islamic community grants one certain legal and social rights and protections. But this light is taken away at death when the hypocrisy is unmasked. Mm -hmm. So at least the, the hypocrisy there is, is spoken of as something negative and hidden. Uh, I think it's fascinating that the shahada is referred to as light, and probably built into that is just belief itself in the Shahada, right? That's the source of light that leads to, uh, that fights off the darkness. Okay, let's keep going. Very, very shallow, sure. I'm deaf, surprised. Deaf, dumb, and blind, they return not. That's verse 18. When recited aloud in Arabic, deaf, dumb, and blind, sum, bukum, awni, is startlingly, start, startlingly evocative, and it's very sound of this deafness, dumbness, and blindness. Deafness and blindness are mentioned frequently in the Quran and referred to spiritual insensibility. The commentators mention the good, the truth, and guidance as realities lost to those so described. They return not to guidance or to Islam, as this likely refers to the hypocrites, or they do not repent and take heed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so deaf, dumb, and blind. Uh, so it says that it's evocative, but it doesn't really 
give much detail except to say spiritual insensibility. So if we compare this with the ayah earlier, that you know their hearts are sealed, their eyes and their ears are, 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 are sealed and covered, this is sort of the inverse. Uh, when your heart, your heart is your receptacle of, of receiving guidance, and your eyes and ears are passageways through which that guidance can come, this is the inverse, this is through which you're speaking. So you might still be blind, and you might still be deaf, but even when you're speaking, you're spiritually mute. You're not offering anything. Yeah. Okay. On to 19. Uh, or a cloud burst from the sky, in which there is darkness, thunder, and lightning. They put their fingers and their ears against the thunderclaps, fearing death, and God encompasses the disbelievers. Mm -hmm. Let's keep going. On to the commentary? Yeah. I'm, I'm just seeing how oh. that, that sentence begins with, it begins with or. It is, it's a sentence fragment mm -hmm. in and of itself. Um, this is an important point. Like, uh, ayahs do not necessarily line up with sentences, <laughs> right? An ayah could be a word. Uh, it could be a combination of sentences. It could be a bunch of sentences that breaks off in, in half of a sentence. And what makes the ayahs? That's just what we have in terms of what the Prophet, peace be upon him, himself recited and where he would pause would be the end of the ayah. And then there's different types of pauses that are that are all recorded. So yeah, this is uh this is a sentence fragment unless you connect it to the previous ayah. Which I think they might do. Yeah. Um or indicates a continuation from their parable in verse 17. Some commentators mention a tradition from Ibn Abbas that the Prophet, when asked, said that Al Ra'id thunder is the name of an angel in the clouds, while others see this as an <coughs> invalid and gratuitous attribution, since the word Ra'id as thunder was well known to Arabs. Uh, Sama, here sky, is also translated heaven, firmament, or even ceiling, depending on its context. Yeah, so one way to read sky is something above you, and you're looking at it from, from below, so like a ceiling. Mm -hmm. But it's also used for heavens. It's also used for firmaments. I don't know if I ever really understood what firmament means, except like region. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, so again, um, here, uh, I guess taking on the role of being a study Quran, here's different ways that's understood, but it doesn't really take a stance. Okay, let's continue. On to 20, the lightning all but snatches away their sight. Whenever it shines for them, they walk therein, and when darkness comes over them, they halt. Had God willed, he would have taken away their hearing and their sight. Truly, God is powerful over all things. Okay, so that, that was addressed a couple of eyes ago. Let's look at I-21. O mankind, worship your Lord who created you and those who are before you, that haply you may be reverent. That haply... Try. La'alla. Yep. Occurs frequently in the Quran and is sometimes rendered that perchance or that some might... Is this what some translate as verily? Yeah. But verily, I mean, there's a number of things that are translated as verily. Inna is also translated as verily. Qad is often translated as verily, too. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Because verily, just in a modern context, almost has no meaning. Yeah. You say verily, and you're not quite sure. I, I couldn't define verily mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, it can be seen to present a theological problem as it implies anxiety or hope. Qualities usually associated only with creatures. Some solve this matter by saying that the hope of God is tantamount to a promise as nothing could stand in its way, or that the hope is connected to the subject of the statement, not to God. Mm -hmm. So here, there's the, the concern about anthropomorphism. So, 
<clears throat> Hafli la'alla occurs frequently in the Quran and is rendered as perchance or that someone might. And so the point is, uh, hmm. Okay, so the point is who's who's hoping that you get taqwa. And so in theory it should be you, but um, it's the, the reading here is that it could possibly mean Allah, but that doesn't really follow that Allah Ta'ala would have hope mm -hmm. if he is controlling all. But I always understood it to mean uh, you yourself, because it's la'allakum. But, okay, let's continue. He who made for you the earth a place of repose and the sky a canopy, and sent water from the sky by which he brought forth fruits for your provision. So do not set up equals under unto God knowingly. It is reported that the prophet was asked, O messenger of God, what is the greatest sin in the sight of God? And he replied, to set up equals to God, though he created you. Fruits, thamarat, uh, yep. here is understood in both the most general sense of natural produce that can be used for food and the symbolic sense of spiritual sustenance for the soul. Earth and sky imagery, similar to that mentioned in this verse, can be found in many other verses. Uh -huh. So again, uh, to me right now it seems arbitrary what terms they're seeking to uh, define and what they're not. So here they chose fruits of all the different words in that ayah, and they didn't define kufr or nifaq earlier, but, okay, let's keep going. If you're in doubt concerning what we have set down unto our servant, then bring a surah like it and call your witnesses apart from God if you are truthful. Mm -hmm. Our servant refers to the prophet, the ijaz, mm -hmm. in imitability, yep. or power to in incapacitate arguments against it of the Quran, a term not used a reference to the Quran in the text itself, stems from its intrinsic beauty, clarity, eloquence, and levels of meaning. Mm. Similar challenges to produce something like the Quran are made in many other verses. Mm. The Quran is the central miracle uh, mm -hmm. from Ijaz of Islam in that it incapacitates challengers' arguments against it, as miracles do in general. That the Prophet was unlettered forms the background of this challenge. This verse is Medinan, though other similar challenges have been revealed in Mecca. Okay, so this idea of Ijaz and Mu'jizah is an interesting point because it touches on other aspects of, of common Islamic theology. So in the science era, uh, we are looking at patterns of how things work and we're looking at cause and effect. Okay, so. I let go of the pen, pen falls down, okay, caused by gravity, okay, or I pound my fist on this book, and, and so then the book shakes, and then I also feel it in my fist. Um, in common Muslim theology, cause and effect doesn't work that way. Cause and effect is that Allah is not just the first cause, he's the only cause, okay? So everything that's happening, even though it looks like it's linear, Allah Ta'ala is making it happen. Okay, and so, so then if I let go of a pen, um, we'd say today it's because of gravity, although we don't really have a proof for gravity except we have uh, illustrations of it. But in that outlook, we'd say that's the adat or like the habit or the sunnah of God, that if you let go of a pen, it's going to go down, right? 
And so likewise, that which we call a miracle in our common context at that time would be called a, a mu'jizah. But the idea of a mu'jizah is something that just cannot be repeated. Okay? That you could try, you'll become incapacitated before, before you can actually repeat it. Meaning Allah can repeat it, you and I cannot. In terms of modern cause and effect, modern science, we'd say a, a miracle is something that science cannot explain, meaning it cannot explain by way of cause and effect how it happened. Yeah. But it's hard to find an actual such miracle. Yeah. Uh, I still suggest that consciousness is such a miracle, especially because each and every one of us has a completely unique consciousness, right? But we're so so we're saying that in the way we look at the world today, it's this linear cause and effect, cause, cause, or cause and effect, and effect, and effect, and effect. And you and I are just part of that whole line going all the way back to the beginning, which is the Big Bang or whenever, and going on, you know, ad infinitum uh, along beyond us. Whereas in this outlook, Allah is the cause, Allah is the cause, Allah is the cause, Allah is the cause, Allah is the cause of every single moment. And so that's how miracles are, are then looked at or explained. So it's a different theology, or a different uh, ontology, I should say. Okay, let's do uh, one more. Twenty-four? Yeah. Uh, and if you do not, and you will not, then be mindful of the fire whose fuel is men and stones, which is prepared for the disbelievers. Mm -hmm. The stones are usually taken to be sulfur, or the idols, worshipped by the polytheists. The structure, if you do not and you will not, shows that the conditional if is not an expression of uncertainty in the case of God any more than la'alla expresses anxiety. It conveys a certainty rather than a contingency. So yeah, as I read this, I see that they're looking, taking much more of a philosophical outlook as opposed to a psychological outlook, you know, or a condition of the heart type thing. And so, yeah, so there they're just talking about how the grammar works. Yeah. There's this challenge you're given, and if you can't do it, but you actually can't. So it is not an expression of uncertainty. Can you do it or can you not? It's basically a rhetorical style. But, okay, let's stop right here. Very, very, these passages were far more shallow than I was expecting. But, in the case, we're getting right through. Any other last thoughts or questions? Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين